0: So we're coming back to First Corinthians, and we are still. So really, the first uh, three and a half chapters of First Corinthians are Paul is addressing the same thing all the way through. So we're we're picking up uh, where he is still. Addressing those who were dividing the church through pride and personal ambition. So we see in verse 21 that he refers all the way back to the beginning of the letter where he had called them out over the divisions they were stirring up within the church surrounding, so this is what the divisions were about, uh, surrounding perceptions of who was the wisest or the most eloquent or the most intelligent of the leaders. And so just glance at verse 21 with me here in chapter 3. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter. Cephas. So you see he's taking us all the way back to verse 12 of Uh, chapter 1. So the message, though, of these verses is directed not to the individual members of the church, per se, but to those who are overseeing the church. So, you know, it's so important to get the proper context when we read the scriptures. You know, when I was a young Christian, I would read through my Bible, and there were certain verses that, you know they were just powerful. They'd leap off the page, they'd stand out, and you're like, "Oh man, I love that verse." And that's great. That is I think, that's the way it is when you start. But as time goes on, and the more you read the scriptures, you start to put the pieces together and you realize, oh, OK. So this verse is connected to that verse and then it's followed by this verse and oh, it's saying something a little bit different than I thought. So the passage that we're looking at today, I think generally speaking, and I've done the same thing, uh, we teach this passage as though Paul's just talking to the rank and file person in the church. But it's important to understand that he's not doing that. Even though we want to find some application for all of us, Paul is addressing a very specific group of people here. He is speaking to the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, just, you know, anyone in that category. He's speaking to those who have been given by God the responsibility of building the church. And so we need to understand... That first and foremost, that's who is being addressed here. And here, the apostle gives a very stern warning to those who would exploit God's people and use the church for personal aggrandizement. That, that's really what he's talking about. And that's what we, we go back to when we're looking at this issue of division around... These names, Peter, Apollos, Paul. And remember, I told you in the beginning, it wasn't like like Apollos or Peter or Paul were actually involved in this. These were leaders in the church that were creating these categories. And creating a division around these categories, but it was these leaders themselves that were benefiting from it in the sense that they were leading the group. And so it was giving them prominence, and that's what they were seeking after. So he's talking to those who would seek to move themselves and the church into the worldly category of the somebodies. Remember, we talked about this distinction, the nobodies and the somebodies. And, and these people, they wanted to be seen as somebodies. In the church context, they wanted to be seen as somebodies and they wanted uh, to be seen in the larger community. They wanted the church to be recognized as, wow, these are, these are really amazing people. Oh, they're so, they're so smart and they're, they're just as eloquent as uh, the top rhetoricians of the day. The rhetoricians were those guys who were very, very skilled in speech. And so that's the background. So let's look at what Paul says. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. Now he's writing back to them at Corinth. He laid a foundation. Paul is the person who God used to start the church in that city. And we read about that in the beginning in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. So I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. So Paul lays the foundation. He establishes the church. He then moves on to continue his apostolic ministry. And there have been leaders that have been Uh, raised up within the church and appointed now to lead. So they are now building on the foundation that Paul has laid. But each one should build with care. Each one should build with care. Now, as we saw when we read, uh, Paul is going to remind them that the church is the temple of God. Now, some leaders, even today, they treat the church like it's their own. And it's their own to do with what they wish. But leaders can never forget that the church doesn't belong to us. The church belongs to God. And that's what Paul is reminding them of. And and that's why he's saying, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So let's look at that for a moment. So, So Paul says, I laid the foundation. And what was the foundation that he laid? The foundation was Jesus Christ. Jesus was the foundation of the Corinthian church Jesus is the foundation of every legitimate church. Every true true church is uh, built on the person of Jesus Christ. But there are other possibilities. It's possible to build a church on something other than Jesus Christ. Oh, of course, the name of Jesus is going to be associated with it because after all, it's a church, right? But... Jesus is not the foundation. He's not the bedrock. He's not the ultimate reality or the, the, the supreme one within the church. What are some of the other possibilities? Well, some build the church on what you might call relevance. We're going to be known in the community as, as the most relevant church Uh, some build their churches around issues some build their churches around uh, values some build their churches around causes some build their churches around personalities and that was the personality thing was a lot of what was going on in Corinth. so no matter how valid some of these things might be. I mean, obviously, it's important to be relevant. You don't want to be irrelevant to people and not connect with them. Uh, There are important issues in the culture. Uh, There are legitimate values. Uh, There are uh, valid causes. And God does use personalities. But... They are not to be the foundation of the church. Christ alone is the foundation of the church. And that's what Paul did in Corinth. He laid the foundation. It wasn't Paul's church. It was the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. And so, remember, he says that they they need to be careful uh, how they build. And then he goes on, and look what he says in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So Paul says that as as they're building, They're either building with gold, silver, and costly stones. That's the right material. Or some are building with wood, hay, and straw. Now, what are these? Well... The gold, silver, and costly stones represents God's wisdom. The wood, hay, and straw represents human wisdom. Remember, they were being very much attracted by human wisdom. And we see that here as we go a bit further into the verses. If anyone thinks he's wise in this world, let him become a fool that he might really be wise. So they were, they were lifted up with pride. They, uh, there, there was this intellectual pride these kinds of things that had crept in. Paul refers to this as wood, hay, and straw. So the gold, silver, precious stones, this is the wisdom and power of the Spirit. And this is how the church is to be built. It's to be built with the wisdom and power of the Spirit. Again, going back to the understanding that the church belongs to God. God has a plan for the church and he intends to supply the wisdom and the power for the church to succeed. And those who seek after the wisdom and the power of God to build the church, those are the wise builders like Paul. Now there are those also though that build with the wood, hay, and the straw, and this is the perishable material of human wisdom. And boy, if you if you even did a cursory reading of church history, you could find so many examples where the church has deviated from the path of the wisdom of God over onto the path of of human wisdom and it never ever ends well it never ends well i mean i I think of you know certain places uh in the world i mean if you go back to uh, the 16th century in europe and you go back to what we know today as the reformation uh, you, you go back and you see, say, for example, the church that, that was uh, the work of the efforts of Martin Luther or the churches that were uh, connected to John Calvin. Those are the two most prominent names in, in the Reformation, although there are others. But you, you look back at those churches and even go another 150 years into the future. You look at the Wesley's. And Methodism that was came out of um, you know their efforts, and you see in the foundational stages of all of those churches, they were building with the right material. they were building with the wisdom and the power of God. but at some point in the history of these churches, they deviated from that and started to try to build on these other things. Human wisdom, charisma, perhaps, uh, human energy, human ingenuity. And those churches are known today, even though there's still a remnant of faithful people in those churches, but generally as denominations, they're known today as, as the mainline Protestant denominations and they all have uh, two features that are identical. They've all forsaken the wisdom of God by rejecting the biblical story, the truth of the Bible, and they've all died. They've all died. They only exist because back in their heyday, when God's blessing was on them, they purchased all kinds of property and built all kinds of churches. And, you know, they did amazing things back in those days. But today, all that's left are these hollow, empty cathedrals, things of that nature. Anglicanism is part of that. Episcopalianism is what it's called in America. Uh, but for the most part, they're dead. They're not only dead, they deny the very Christ who bought them. And it it all began with a moving away from the wisdom and the power of the Spirit toward the perishable material of human wisdom. And so, Paul goes on, and here we see that he speaks of this day where their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss yet, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through fire. So, so Paul, Paul is telling them, you, you need to be very careful that you're not building with these perishable things because there's going to be a day when God's going to test it all. And what's going to be tested will be the motives of those who were building. And some were building for the glory of God, truly, and some were building for the glory of themselves. And that's, that's what's happening in Corinth. These people who the church has been entrusted to are now trying to build for their own glory rather than the glory of God. That's why they're being led into this infatuation with human wisdom and wanting to be seen as somebody in their respective communities. So, Paul says that there's this this testing that will come. There's a day when when God's going to reveal what the real motives were behind these things. It's a very subtle thing. And... It doesn't necessarily start this way, but it's a very subtle thing that a person in leadership can drift away from a pure motive of glorifying God to glorifying themselves. And I think the foundation for that is always pride. You know, there's something that we're tempted toward when, when we have success we're tempted to somehow think that we're responsible for it. And then, because we think we're responsible for it, we think, well, everything I think and do is right. And so, I'm just gonna gonna keep going with that. That is the story of many churches today. Where men started out right. Their, their motives were right. They wanted to do this for the glory of God. I have a friend who is no longer in ministry who started out with a pure desire to glorify God and God blessed him extraordinarily in an amazing I remember talking to him in the early days of his ministry, and he was really discouraged. At that time, he'd been, I don't know, maybe he'd been at it four or five years or something, and he had a church of about 200 people, and he just felt like a failure, wanted to give up. And I had been at it a bit longer than him, so he asked me for some advice. What did I think? Should he just give up. I said, no, man, you need to press through. You need to keep going. And he did. And nobody ever dreamed of what was on the other side of that pressing through. God poured out his spirit in an extraordinary way. Extraordinary. Thousands upon thousands of people. Impact. Massive impact. I remember running into him during that season and when everything's just exploding and I remember having a conversation with him and I was absolutely shocked at the arrogance that came from him it was jarring I mean he just was telling me how great he was and I was looking at him thinking, what has happened? And I think the look on my face told him. Because after our encounter, he came back to me about an hour later and said, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what's come over me. I don't know. I don't, you know, please forgive me for acting like that. I really sounded prideful, didn't I? (laughs) My friend, that's an understatement. You sounded like the devil himself. I want to ascend above the throne of God. I want to be like the most high. I mean, it was crazy. But, you know, I think he pulled it together and probably repented. But as the years went by and the blessing continued to come, more and more entitlement set in. More and more became about him and his platform. And eventually he crashed and burned. And he's out of the ministry today. And he's a lonely person, a pathetic situation, really. Didn't only lose his church, but lost his family in the process. But at one time, his motives were pure. You know, I, I think of David. We were looking at in our class this week, studying the Psalms, we were looking at Psalm 51 where, you know, that's the the great repentant psalm of David. It's where he's repenting before God, but it's before he's received the word of God's mercy. So he's just crying out to God for mercy. But as we're studying Psalm 51, we're going back to look at the historical events surrounding the psalm, and that's David's sin with Bathsheba, then his uh, consigning her husband Uriah, to death. And as you read that passage there in 2 Samuel, the Lord says to David, he says, he basically just goes through this list of all the things he did for him. I did all these things for you, and if this was not enough, I would have done more. And it was a situation when David was little in his own eyes, when he was humble and his motive was just to glorify God, all oh, the kingdom, it was, it was great, it was marvelous. But then it became about David. And so we read in the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel, in, in the time of the year when the kings go out to battle, David stayed home. He was above that now. He's too good for that. He didn't need to go do that. He'd arrive. He's now at a, another level. And that's when he saw this young woman bathing. That's when he invited her to his house. That's when he was told she is the wife of Uriah. And he said, "Ah, oh, that doesn't matter. I'm the king. I can do what I want. And that's when it all crumbled. And that has happened over and over again in the history of the church. And it's being repeated today because men forget that it's God who does the work. It really is. It's the Lord. So let's look at a couple of other things here. He does talk about, I, I just want to mention, he talks about the, these people that they will, um, There's if, if you build with the right material, then, Uh, What's been built is going to survive and there's going to be a reward if building with the wrong material, it's all going to be consumed. It'll all be amount to really nothing in the end. Um, So they will suffer loss, but they will be saved. And so it doesn't mean in, in this case that a person is has lost their salvation. David didn't lose his salvation, but he did lose much of his power and anointing and blessing on his life like others have done as well. But, but he goes on and let's look at what he says here in verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Now here Paul is talking uh, collectively. In the sixth chapter, he's going to talk about us being the temple, and there it's going to be uh, personal, individual. It, the context is sexual ethics, sexual behavior. And so there he's looking at us individually as the temple of God. Here mm-hmm. he's, he's talking about the collective people of God, the body of Christ. And so don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. And now here's the stern warning, verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So man, what a warning. God is saying, um, again, Paul says, be careful how you build. This is... um, there's a a man uh, named Paul Tripp who wrote a book some years ago now about the ministry and the title of the book is Dangerous Calling. And it is indeed a dangerous calling because you can end up in a place where God destroys you. Because you, because of your pride and your self-will, you have destroyed the temple of God. So, like I said in the beginning, we can never forget that the church is God's church. I I can't mess with it. If I do mess with it, it will lead to my own demise eventually. Might seem like lots of people mess with it and nothing ever happens. No, stuff happens. God turns against those. And destroys them. And that's the the story of many of these people like the one I told you about. That's just one example of many. Now, verse 18. Look what he says. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise... By the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. So that was their whole thing. They wanted to be recognized by the world as wise. Remember what Paul said earlier. uh, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. God has chosen the weak things. God has chosen uh, those that the world would sneer at and reject. Those are the ones God has chosen. So if we're trying to be seen as wise in the world's eyes, we're actually working against the way God works. And so he says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. So here it is what it boils down to. Better, be, better to be seen a fool in people's eyes than in God's eyes. Now listen, listen, as you follow Jesus, it's never going to be cool. It's never going to be cool. I, I almost feel like we're past the age, hopefully, we're past the age where somehow we think that it's cool or we're we're cool or we're expecting the world to think that we're cool. And there have been seasons where that has been the case. People have tried to Uh, attract the world by, hey, we're cool. So if you want to be cool, come and join our club. But, you know, when you really follow Jesus, it's just it's never going to be cool in the eyes of the world because the world is at enmity with God. And they might look and think, well, that looks kind of cool. And they might even look at some of the stuff we do and say, well, that's pretty cool. But guess what? When they find out what you really believe, oh, that's not cool. That is not cool because nobody wants to believe that there is a God who holds human beings accountable. Nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants to believe that human beings are so sinful that we had to have someone die in our place to pay for our crimes against God. No one wants to believe that. So you see, when it comes out who we really are, Oh, the world is not going to like that. But it's okay. It's okay because remember, God will have the final word. God has the final word on who is cool. I think of that, uh, there's a verse in Isaiah. It says, do not fear the reproach of people nor be afraid of their insults. Man, that's so often what it comes down to. Why would, say, these leaders in Corinth, why would they even want to court the favor of the world? Because they're afraid of being insulted. They're they're afraid of being reproached. Oh, I don't like that. Well, we don't like it, but that's the cost. That is the cost of following Christ. The world, Jesus said it, if the world loved me, it'll love you. If it hated me, it will hate you. And of course, the majority hate Christ. It's always been that way. So if anyone is trying to be wise by the standards of this age, Paul says, you need to become a fool. Now, you understand what he's saying. He's not saying "Be, be foolish. But he's saying, identify with the wisdom of God, not with the wisdom of man. And don't be afraid to be insulted over that. Of course, it's always been the case, but I think it is the case today as well that you know, people really look down on our beliefs. You know, there, there was a time not that long ago where it's always been a, a negative in the, in the eyes of people that we would be exclusive in the sense that we would think that there's only one Savior. There's only one way to God. And, and people have been pushing back on that for centuries but now it's it's become so offensive i mean now it's like you are seen as public enemy number one you start thinking like that so to to take that stand in that camp you're going to be thought a fool i'm going to be thought a fool But Paul says, better to become a fool. Because again, God has the final word. Now, look at what he says right here at the end. He's saying to them, he says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or present or future, all are yours and you are belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Now, this is, this is what he's getting at. I'll give you uh, a quote from N.T. Wright. I modified it a little bit because of the, uh, the Britishness of it. But he said this, In short, the Corinthians were like people splashing about in a muddy pool when the ocean itself was right beside them like people drinking dirty water from a polluted tap when sparkling mountain water was there before them. Imagine preferring to indulge in personality cults as though you were merely another bunch of squabbling philosophers when the entire cosmos and all its truth, mystery, and wisdom were yours for the explore. Temptations often promise more and deliver less. Sometimes, in fact, they deliver nothing at all. Satan offers the moon and then laughs at you when you don't get it, while God promises you the sun itself. So what is the point? The point is, he's saying to these these people in Corinth, it's like, you have got... The wisdom of the cosmos. You've got eternal wisdom. Why are you dabbling over here in this stuff? Just these squabbles among human beings who don't, in the end, really know much of anything. You know, so often we put... um, you know, people up on pedestals because of their, their so-called learning. And yet, the most learned among us, if that most learned person among us rejects God, they, they really don't know anything. And, and why would we be attracted to that? Why would we be intimidated by that? Why would we want to somehow impress that? It's like trying to grasp the moon, which only is light because of the sun. And God's given us the sun. So all things are yours. So rather than chasing after this human wisdom that is foolishness to God we should be giving ourselves fully over to the wisdom of God and letting that wisdom do in us all that God wants to do in our lives individually and in our lives collectively. You know, the children of Israel, you know, one of the things that God had in mind with the Israelites was that he would take this nation And give them these extraordinary laws. And they would become so blessed that the other nations would look on and say, wow, that's amazing. How can we get in on this? And God actually said those very words to them. I've given you all this that the other nations might look on and say, what people is like this people? What people have ever been so near to God? What people have ever been given such a, a wonderful law? What people have ever been so wise and so blessed? But you know what the Israelites did? They thought, well, I don't know. We were looking around and we kind of think that they, they've got some pretty cool stuff over there. It like Wright says, They're they're right at the shore of the sea. And then they say, but there's a a mud puddle over there. I want to go splash around in that. And listen, that's what the church does so often. But you know, God wants to do with us collectively what he wanted to do with Israel. He wants the world to look at us and say, that is unique. That is extraordinary. That is something that I want to investigate. But you see, if we're just like the world, that's never going to happen, is it? If we're all divided up, if we're all arguing and bickering and hating each other over politics, it's the current beef in the church. Who, who wants to be part of that? That's That's everywhere. Why would you want a religious version of it? So, God intends to do something, and he's given us all of this. Now, how might we apply this more broadly to our lives individually? Well, here it is simply the Holy Spirit has laid the foundation of Christ in our lives. So if you're a Christian today, if you have personally put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has laid the foundation of Christ in your life. So, how are we building on that foundation? Are we building with gold, silver, and precious stones? In other words, are we Are we taking full advantage of the spirit and the things the spirit has given to us? Are we saturating our lives with God's truth through his word? Are we connecting with him through prayer and worship? Are we coming together as the people of God and learning and growing and maturing because of the influence of one another upon our lives? Are we stepping out into the world with a, a wisdom and a love that the world hasn't seen but desperately needs? Are we doing that? Or are we building on the foundation with wood, hay and straw or stubble? Are we doing it our way? Are we grabbing on to Ideas and theories and passions from the world. And that's what our Christian faith is about now. The gold, the silver, the precious stones, the things of the spirit. Let's build our lives with those things. And build. Build implies activity. We cannot sit by passively. It is not time to be passive in our faith. Man, it's time to get to work. It's time to get building. Let God build us up. And let's build one another up so the temple of God can grow as he desires it to. So, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your wisdom. And, Lord, not only do we not need to be ashamed of it, Lord, help us to know that there is no wisdom like your wisdom. Help us, Lord, to remember, to understand, Lord, that all things are ours. That you, Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, are ours. That we belong to you and you belong to us and we belong to each other. And we are the temple of God. And Lord, as a temple, is a place where you're worshipped and exalted, it's a place where people come to experience your presence. Lord, may that become more and more uh, a tangible reality that we and others experience. And so, Lord, today, as we finish up, just taking a few moments to redirect our focus once again to you before we enter into this new week, as we sing these final songs, as we think about the word today, Lord, would you speak loudly into our hearts and, Lord, help us to yield ourselves to you. Help us, Lord, to turn away from our own self-will, from our pride, from the fear that binds us, those things that hold us back. Help us, Lord, to build. Help us to work through the power of your spirit to see your temple expanded in Jesus name